the penny dropped when I just thought to myself that, you know, the most profound thing that I'm involved in right now is the fact that I'm no longer contributing to this injustice, which is the largest injustice of all time. When the penny dropped on that, I saw the moral obligation that I had and it grew like, yeah, like a slowly building fire. Veganism is a non-action, so you're only not participating in the cruelty and the exploitation. So what you need to do, the next step would be to get active. You can do whatever form of activism that suits your personality and you're good at it. So just find the one that you like and get active. That's Paul Bashir and Asal Alamdari, the co-directors of Anonymous for the Voiceless, and you are listening to the Vegan Champion Podcast. Hey everybody, how's it going? My name is Jason Fonger and I'm the host here at the Vegan Champion Podcast. It's great to be back today with another episode for you. I'm really excited about this one and I can't wait to get into this conversation. But first, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for everyone who has been listening to the first few episodes of this podcast. I've had a lot of great feedback so far. Lots of you have been messaging me or telling me in person how much you've been enjoying these conversations. Some of you have been sharing your favorite episodes on social media, which has been hugely helpful in terms of spreading the word. There have been a small number of reviews submitted to Apple Podcasts, but it really would be a massive help towards getting this show off the ground. If you could take the time, and it only takes a minute or two, to head over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give the show a little love over there. If you're new here, welcome aboard. This podcast is about showcasing amazing people who are helping to move the vegan movement forward. It's about discussing topics and issues that are important and relevant to vegans. It's about providing you with content that will help you to deepen and expand your understanding of what veganism is all about. And it's about helping you to optimize your unique contribution to growing the vegan movement. Speaking of growing the vegan movement, today's episode features Paul Bashir and Asal Alamdari, the co-directors of the animal rights organization Anonymous for the Voiceless. This is an organization that does a kind of street activism called the Cube of Truth. These are peaceful demonstrations akin to an art performance in which activists show footage of animal exploitation to the public and have conversations with interested passersby with the hope of guiding them to their own vegan conclusions. I think it's fair to say at this point that these demonstrations are the most popular form of organized vegan activism. The organization has chapters in over 900 cities around the globe, and that number is growing very quickly. In this conversation, we talk about how the organization got started, what has caused it to grow so rapidly, the reasoning behind this specific approach to activism, and we also have a broader conversation about, the, about vegan activism in general. It was really fascinating to talk to Paul and Asal and to hear their perspectives on all of these things. I think it's really enlightening conversation that will leave you feeling inspired to become more active in promoting veganism, or at the very least, it will give you a greater understanding of and appreciation for the work that animal rights activists do. 
A little bit of a heads up, this interview was recorded over Skype and the audio is a little shaky at the beginning, but it does quickly improve, so please hang tight. I put a lot of time into improving the audio in post-production and I think it turned out pretty well. It was definitely worth the effort because the content of this exchange is so valuable. Now let's cut to the chase, shall we? I give you my conversation with Paul Bashir and Asal Alamdari. So let's start off by just talking uh, a little bit of an intro about um, Anonymous for the Voiceless and the Cube of Truth. So for people who are listening and maybe they don't know much about it, um, just tell them a little bit about what the organization is and what kind of activism you guys are, are focusing on. You want to go? So we do street activism for anyone who doesn't know what exactly we do. Our campaigns are called Cube of Truth, Cube of Truth demonstrations. So we um, basically show the public what goes on in, you know, animal agriculture in the industries that exploit animals. So we show them the truth, and then we'll have a conversation with them, help them make that connection, and then give them information if they want to be vegan. Um, yeah, so that's basically what we do. People can look it up. Cool. <laughs> okay, nice. So what um, what was the the inspiration for for starting an organization for you guys? We just we were just frustrated. <laughs> yeah, we were yeah, and we also knew that so initially we wanted to do activism at a high level. I mean, my initial goal was to do YouTube and create videos for YouTube. And one of the kinds of videos I wanted to create was the outreach kind of videos that Joey was doing, for example. And then what I realized is that like just going up to people on the streets is not as effective as like one of these earthing experience type demonstrations. So then we tried to put one together where we have the footage playing on the laptops but then we realized like there needs to be more of a pull factor. Like we need something to entice people on a higher level. And that's how over 17 events in Melbourne, we put that event together so that we could have like a dope format to do the outreach interactions. And then my aim was to record them and then put them online. And then when, what we realized is that like the cube of truth needed to go worldwide and we felt like we had an obligation to like distribute it and make sure that this format, this platform of doing activism is available around the world. And that, and then we decided to start an organization and run it. And the way that we've decided to run it has like naturally come about through us contemplating like how we want animal rights activism to be organized within an organization and and um yeah that's how it came about it wasn't i don't know like we you know back in 2016 we didn't necessarily sit down and go all right let's start an organization and let's do this um worldwide and all this stuff like we it start it started as a like a natural comment um like a different layers of things that came together and then it was just it culminated because 
like I said, we initially just wanted to get out into the streets and do this kind of a campaign. And then we put the Cube of Truth together because we felt it could, it would be an improvement on the, the format that was in existence at that point. Yeah, and then the organization, like running an organization was a decision we made in 2016 once we had established the events, the campaigns. And then when we went to Thailand to write the manual and distribute it to the rest of the world, the rest was history. Right. So just just to give a bit of an or, an overview, so for people who are listening, um, so the, the Cube of Truth demonstrations, because most people have probably seen it, but maybe they don't know exactly what it is. Um, so when we are seeing people um, out on the streets, standing sort of back to back, so four sides of people with like the Guy Fox masks on and holding either laptops, playing footage of, you know, what's going on in animal agriculture and, um, you know, maybe they have TVs and holding signs up that say that say truth. So this is something that now in, you know, now we're in 2019, like people are coming up during these these demos and they're saying, oh, I've seen this before. Like it's now it's like a known kind of demonstration that people are seeing in cities all over the world. I mean, now what's what's the number of cities that that are now doing demonstrations at this point? Nine hundred eighteen. 918 so we're getting up to like a thousand cities almost um and that's you know that's remarkable that that's it's grown this quickly in you know since since 2016 and i guess you spoke briefly just you mentioned the earthlings experience which was it's a similar thing i think they it's also about you know show displaying footage on on screens in the public um and allowing for an opportunity to to speak about you know, veganism while actually looking at the footage, which is really powerful rather mm -hmm. than just speaking to people without without any context on the street. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess, you know, the Earthling experience, though, I mean, that was something that was happening. But Anonymous for the Voices, what you guys have been able to do is really like just explode that form of activism across the world. So was that I mean, when you you spoke about doing the demonstrations and you know you, you weren't really thinking let's let's make this an you know a big organization i mean frankly has it surprised you guys its growth i mean that's something i want to talk about like the growth of the organization has just been you know crazy and um i mean how do you guys think about that like what do you what do you attribute that to and is that you know did you ever imagine that it would get to this point i think at the start we were quite surprised as it just took up very quickly as soon as we put together a manual like we were getting messages from people around the world like that happened very quickly but then at this point i guess it's kind of expected i was surprised with how quickly it exploded but i wasn't surprised in it exploding yeah because i knew that it would mm-hmm of course it would. I mean, like we all, I think we all needed it in the vegan movement, something that was like clearly effective, you know, and you could just show up and you don't have to break any laws and you can just express your frustration, but do it in a positive way and actually have conversations with the non, with non-vegans that go well. And yeah, we knew that it, it, it would, but I, I would attribute it to the organizational structure that we have and I would attribute it to the effectiveness of the campaigns, the cube of truth really fucking works. And I would attribute it to, 
um, all the hardworking activists around the world that get behind the vision that we have been holding all this time. And the activists that we have on board, we have so many fantastic people that we're working with. So that's what I would attribute it to success. Nice. Yeah, I would agree with those. I would agree with those points for sure. I mean, I know before you said like if people if people want to you know see the cube and and get you know get an idea for it, they can they can definitely look it up. But I think it's worth maybe going over like what is the you know what is the process of like conducting a demo because you spoke about you know the organization itself and you know organizing helping organizers and you guys have created a manual. So maybe if you could just briefly go over like how is a cube of truth organized? You know, what instructions are given to the volunteers? Like just sort of a, an overview of, of what that all, what that entails. So if someone is interested to become an organizer, for example, they do an induction call. They have an induction call with that team. So we go over everything. And then when they start um, organizing their cubes, uh, when the volunteers show up, they'll, be briefed. So there will be a briefing at the start of the demonstration. So again, the organizer will go over everything. Um, they will explain different aspects of the demonstration. What happens if you're standing in the cube or if you're doing outreach? So they go over everything. And yeah, that's it. It's pretty simple. So people people are able to basically just say, oh, I've seen this kind of activism on, you know, on YouTube or wherever they're able to go onto your website and just look up a if there's a if there's a chapter already organized, you know, from the volunteers perspective in, in their area and and then they're able to just show up and it's all sort of, um, you know, neatly organized and explain to them what what they're supposed to do. Um, and I think that. Yeah, I guess that that element of organization and structure that is consistent throughout all the chapters, you know, that makes it really, really accessible for people to get involved in in activism. I mean, I would definitely say that the the cube of truth is 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 probably the most easily accessible um, gateway into activism. I mean, people might not necessarily want to go to you know, say like a DXC demonstration or you know, you know, go and visit a slaughterhouse right away with, say, the save movement. Um, but I think, you know, it's pretty easy for people to think about just showing up to a cube and holding a sign and standing, you know, with a mask. I mean, maybe we can talk a little bit about about the mask, um, because a lot of people ask that right when they come when they go to the demonstration. I mean, what you see, you see the video and you see the signs that say truth. Fair enough. But a lot of people are sort of you know confused by the mask you know the uh, like the question why the mask what's what's with the mask that get, that's that's a pretty common one so um how do you guys re respond to that like what's There's the explanation presentation that will be available soon a video presentation that's been put together by an activist who participates in our cubes over in Denmark and that will be available this month so okay. I can I, I can just say that look out for that. It'll be posted through the AV networks and it's I think an hour long presentation on the history of the mask and why we use it. <clears throat> it's pretty in depth. But it, the basics behind it is that it stands for something and that something aligns with our values. So that's the basic reason for us picking that mask and using it. 
is there a is there a reason for using a mask at all rather than not than not using a mask? Yeah, there are multiple reasons. Um, one of them is like if you're a bystander and you're walking past the cube, you would want to watch the footage. But then if there was an actual person standing there, you would feel um, like you're being judged, for example, watching the footage. But this way, the mask acts as a barrier between the cuber and the bystander. So they feel more comfortable watching the footage and also for the cubers as well just standing there presenting the footage makes them feel more comfortable, especially if they have any, you know, anxiety or any, any issues. And, um, you know, it just makes it easier for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's an important point you make about, um, you know, well, yes, the people walking by not to feel like, you know, there's this screen, but then right on top of it, it's like a, you know, the, a human face yeah. sort of looking at you and people would feel like they're being judged or whatever. You know, there's a lot of emotions that could come up. And then, yeah, for the volunteers, too, I, I really do think that it makes people um, feel more comfortable participating because, you know, if people are they feel more exposed. It's almost like a safety barrier where people are, like you say, with anxiety issues. So I think, I think that's, um, yeah, I think that's a really important, you know, point to mention. Um, cool. So people can look out for that video if they're looking for a more sort of in-depth explanation of why specifically the, the Guy Fox mask. Um, cool. So we've talked about the, the organization, the demos, um, the growth of the organization a little bit. Maybe you guys could highlight some of the um, like the bigger I know because there's all these events happening in cities all over the world all the time. But there have been a few sort of, you know, landmark events, you know, different chapters coming together and, you know, extra super big cubes happening of like 100 plus people. So maybe could you talk about maybe some of those like milestone events that have that have happened over the years? Yeah, we did a 24-hour cube in Berlin last year. Um, that was the first 24-hour cube? Yep. Yeah. Um, well, if you take it back one year ago, we had our first 12-hour cube in Melbourne. Yeah, 12-hour. And then we've had, we ha we've had quite a few 12-hour cubes now, but yeah, we did the 24-hour cube in Berlin, which was massive. Yeah. I, I can't remember how many people attended exactly. Between 500 and 700 or something. Yeah, and then um, last year at the ASC, so the Animal Liberation Conference in Berkeley, um, during that time we also did a big cube in San Francisco. It was called San Francisco Takeover. We had about a thousand people, I think. So we had multiple cubes around San Francisco. It was about 600, 700, yeah. Yeah. Um, what other events? <clears throat> International Cube Day? Yes, International Cube Day happens every year, um, first Saturday of November. We had 500 cities last year all participating on that day. And, and this year we've got a lot of uh, really exciting global campaigns. And we had the meetup, did you mention that? Oh, but yeah, it's no. not really, yeah, it, wasn't as, it wasn't as much of a success as we hoped, but so the meetup happened in four cities around the world. So the idea was for anyone within that region, that country or countries around to come together and do a mm. cube. Um, well, we're not going to do that again this year. Yeah, we won't. Be. But this year, what people can expect is the Amsterdam 24 hour event, 
which is called One Damn Day, and it'll be a global social media, a global event, really. But there'll be a 24-hour cube in Dam Square in Amsterdam on May 11th. Um, before that, actually, that's the first campaign happening this year. Um, the second campaign is the Paris event, which is all of the French-speaking cities around the world converging in Paris. There's going to be hundreds of activists. I, I, I don't know exactly the number, but they're expecting 14 simultaneous cubes or something like that I saw on the video. Some They said something like that. Six or eight cubes. Okay, it's gonna anyway, be. It's gonna be big. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know the numbers yet, but it's gonna be big. And the thing is, um, the French activists are on a different level completely. Like they don't, they don't fuck around at all. Take it very seriously. <laughs> how um, how so? Oh, they're just so about. Really dedicated. Really passionate. There's no nonsense when it comes to them. Like they are just about the mission. That's the vibe we yeah. got when we were in Paris, at least. It was. It was really awesome. It was refreshing. That's interesting. I wonder why. I wonder why that is. What do you think it is about about these uh, these uh, French people? I don't know. They're very. <laughs> I think because people think French people are rude, right? They're very like cold. But maybe when you put that personality into an animal rights activist role, it works well because you kind of need to be that way in order to get the job done. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's my little. Yeah, that's that's our experience when we were there uh, last year. Was it last year or the year before during the World Tour? Twenty seventeen, yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was really amazing being there. Like there was no bullshit. Yeah, and then after that, we've got the Animal Liberation Conference that's happening at the end of May here in California, actually. So we'll be back in Cali for that. And then after that, we've got the one hundred and sixty-eight hours of truth campaign that's happening in Times Square, New York. One hundred and sixty. Eight. So seven so, days. So seven days, and is is that like, is that I I don't know. Does that does that add up to a week back to back to back? Yeah. That's exactly oh, a week. Twenty four hours. Yeah. So it so it's twenty four hours for seven days. Correct. Yeah, it doesn't stop. And so what? Like, I mean, people <laughs> are probably listening, saying, "Okay, well, why why are you staying there? You know, through the middle of the night? I mean, I guess Times Square. I guess there's always doesn't there sleep. Times Square. It does. It doesn't sleep. That's insane. I mean, how, so how is that? How is that all going to be organized? I mean, how do you get you know people to to be there? You know, all through the night. And I mean, isn't that? It's it's uh, a collaborative effort. People sign up for shifts and they commit to them. That is that is truly uh, something spectacular. I can't wait to I can't wait to see that. And I think. You know, something else to mention is is like uh, with these bigger events that you guys have put on, how has or has there been any response from, say, like, you know, major media outlets? I mean, do do people even want to touch this stuff or, you know, I mean, I guess it's it's when you have smaller cubes. I mean, I have seen some media coverage, like a little mm-hmm. bit of a little bit of I mean, maybe not super, super mainstream, but, you know, people writing articles about the cubes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Has has there been any major interest from you know, ma- major media outlets as of as of yet, or no? But we'll see this year. Look, I, I think the media tries to act like veganism doesn't even exist, or if I they so touch too. on it, yeah. if they touch on it, they mock it and they make it sound stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, hopefully, uh, hopefully if that'll, people, that'll change. If, pe- 
if if the media like if people knew about AV and it was widely covered, I mean it's pretty powerful shit. Like I don't think the media really wants to give us a platform like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you see, um, Joey Carbstrong has had quite a lot of attention from mainstream media, and I mean, one of the things that I see when when people are talking to him, interviewing him, it's almost like they're trying to, you know, get a rise out of him because he's the kind of guy who he gets pretty riled up pretty easily. And, and it's like really, you know, it's entertaining viewing, but also people are able to say, Oh, that guy, you know, he's like, there's been attacks on his, on his past history. And, um, you know, people see his character and they think, Oh, this guy, he's just, he's just, you know, crazy or he's too aggressive or whatever. So he's a cop out to them. Yeah. And whereas they don't succeed, what you guys, well, yeah, they ahead. think that it's going to work out. They're delusional. They think that like Joey isn't making sense, and the other and he's getting and they're getting gotcha moments on him, but they're not. They're actually not. The viewers know what's up. I mean, anybody with a critical mind know what's up. But if you watch, if you watch it, and you're just a delusional, brainless civilian, of course you're just going to think, oh yeah, that guy's too aggressive, and oh yeah, that other idiot talking about <laughs> what was what was he saying? Um, uh, talking about wheat. I'm talking about um. Pierce, um, what's his name? Pierce, Pierce Morgan. Pierce Morgan. Yeah, he yeah. was talking about wheat and bread as if that was a gotcha moment. But like, he's such a fool that if anyone listened to that and critically thought through it, you know, you'd realize that it's not a gotcha moment. It's actually a backfire, and, and it debunks his entire thing because if he really does care about rats being murdered, the way he said it, like then you should care about pigs being murdered. If you want to be so sanctimonious about rats, what the fuck are you doing eating ham sandwiches, bruz? <laughs> I don't get how people think that that's a solid point. Like, you're going to argue that vegans are also killing animals. If you care about that, then why are you killing animals too? Don't. It's not a gotcha moment. Yeah. And we're not claiming it's... that we kill zero animals. It's also like a misunderstanding of what veganism actually is. Yeah, I think it's about about... You know, people see vegans and they they say, oh, well, they probably it's exposing, you know, things that they're doing. And so they start to feel, you know, bad about what they're doing. But then it's about saying, oh, well, you're not perfect either. Right. Yeah. So then I, I don't have to be perfect. Right. So there's there's, you know, there's I think maybe the what was the argument that he was making when you talk about weed? It's about the harvesting. Do you eat bread, Jason? Yeah. Well, you are murdering rats. <laughs> right. That's basically because, what it was. And it's just like, be, dude, like, yeah. I, First of all, I don't like that. So, like, if you can give me a solution, I'll sign up today. But yeah, you don't right. seem to be wanting to offer a solution. And we are offering a practical solution for the world to participate in. It's very easy to be vegan. You don't have to do anything radical to change and to do that. Whereas not eating bread because rats, it's like, yeah, okay, I'll avoid bread. But if there's an option, like a suggestion that you have for how I can avoid it or, you know, or getting breads that don't come from that, you know, wheat wheat products that don't come from that kind of farming. And the other thing is that it's not even tr- it's not even necessarily true what he's saying about um, wheat farming. You know, right. these machines that go through the wheat fields and collect wheat are so big and so loud. Do you think rats are that stupid that they're just going to stick around and get you know mowed over by these machines? Like they they run. Any any yeah. sa- any threatening sound, they run, you know. 
So not yeah, they're you, not getting murdered, especially not in the numbers that he's. He, you know, it's an exaggeration. The worst thing that would happen on those farms is like the pesticide spray because it affects the insects and it runs into waterways. And also, if the farmers are shooting animals, which they tend to do, they tend to be like part-time hunters. This is the kind of thing that we should be more so concerned about. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah, I've read I've read uh, a little bit into that. A lot of what this, these studies that come up with these astronomical numbers of, uh, you know, animals that are supposedly being killed during, during harvesting, uh, Apparently, what some of the problem is, I'm not an expert on this, but it's like they they'll take a survey of like how many animals are are in you know a given a given farm, like you know rodents and whatever, uh, before harvest and after harvest. And of course, the numbers are higher before harvest because there's food there. There's an environment for the animals. And after the harvest, there's not. So the animals all, like you say, they run away or whatever. And then and then people try to take those numbers and say, well, look, here's the difference in the numbers. Look at all these animals that have been killed. So it's yeah, there's a there's some misrepresentation there for sure, um, but yeah, it's just it's just used as a point to try to, you know, like you say, catch people out like like Joey when they bring them on and get a rise out of them and stuff. Um, but you know, I I agree with you. I think that any any sensible person um, listening to those conversations with Joey can sort of see that you know Joey's making valid points and and uh, <laughs> frankly he's right and the hosts are just trying to do the best they can to, you know, justify their behavior. So it's interesting to see, though, um, and I'm glad that it's happening. I'm really glad that Joey's getting the exposure that he is because I think he's I think it's entertaining to listen to. And I think that there's a lot of people who have, you know, really started thinking about things yeah. because of, you know, hearing him on the interviews and stuff. And then the great thing is, I mean, you know, Joey's done a lot of videos um, at at the cube of truth right a lot of his outreach has been done at these cube of truth events and it's not just joe it's you know lots of people lots of vegan activists out there you know um earthling ed james aspie that vegan couple like there's lots of people who are doing videos at these cube of truth events that you guys you know are helping um to facilitate and so i think that if somebody's interested in joey you know they see him on the media they find him on on YouTube, they'll find out about the Cube of Truth, and then they're able to come and participate in these events. So there is sort of an avenue for people to, you know, find out about these events and, and become active, which is which is great. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about because you guys had mentioned the Animal Liberation Conference um, that happened last year in California and is going to be happening again this year. Um, could you maybe just tell people what a little bit about what that is and you know how that all how that all went down last year? Yeah, so the Animal Liberation Conference is put together by um, DXC and also the Save Women. So some of the actions were, so the way it works is um, it's a whole week or is it five days? It's seven. Yeah, so it's a whole week. So you have like a induction session and then they have different schedules. So every day there will be workshops and uh, speeches that people can choose to attend. And then on some days, um, there are big actions. For example, one day we did a big cube, like I said, and then the other days um, they'll organize vigils, like really big vigils. So they'll take people to the slaughterhouses and there was DXC actions. Um, there was a big march. So every day there are workshops and trainings as well as like really big actions. So it's a really so good opportunity for activists to learn a lot, but then whatever they learn, they put it into action. That's really cool. So DXE, um, for people who might not be familiar, stands for Direct Action 
everywhere. Um, and that's a, uh, an organization that, well, I mean, maybe you could talk a little bit about what, what exactly is DXA, DXE and, and, and what do they do? DXE are known for being a bit more controversial because they like to disrupt and um, it's not our style. I've never done a disruption. I don't plan to. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about that a little bit, sort of the the differences. I mean, DXC, so for example, they might go to, um, they might go outside of a, you know, a restaurant where there's, you know, meat being served, you know, even steakhouse, inside. something like that. Or even, they'll even go inside. Yeah, so inside and, and do, you know, speak outs where they're, they'll literally walk inside a restaurant, you know, holding signs, you know, about you know, promoting veganism and, and showing what, what happens in, in animal agriculture and so on and, you know, speak out and really, you know, literally shouting at people inside of a restaurant about veganism. And yeah, that's very, very different to the cube of truth approach, which is, you know, very, very passive. I mean, people, you know, for, for people who haven't actually been to a cube of truth event, um, yes, it's like you're out there on the street, you're holding laptops or whatever signs and but you're not stopping anybody like the out, people who are on outreach or the people who are around the cube and and who are having conversations with people about veganism it's not about stopping people even like you don't want to stop people and tell them hey come look at this i mean am i correct and that's that's sort of the idea right yeah. it of... is about stopping people but it's about stopping people on their own accord and through their right. own captivating their own genuinely captivating curiosity and interest right so allowing people to like yes stopping like yes about stopping people by okay we're here and hopefully the visual you know aspect of the demonstration will stop people on their own accord as as you say but it's not about you know even speaking to somebody and saying like yeah, hey come over here no. yeah so i guess let's let's talk about sort of those different philosophies because i mean we had i had um I had that vegan couple on the podcast a little while back and you know we spoke about sort of the the different approaches and how you know it's it's sort of difficult to say you know it's not like saying who's right and who's wrong i think that anybody doing anything for the animals is is probably i mean short of you know maybe being being violent towards people or you know there's there there probably is a line somewhere but in terms of speaking up vocally getting awareness about veganism and about animal rights um it's really sort of hard to go wrong because everything that you do is you know helping to create awareness and getting people thinking but within that you know there's definitely there's certainly room for debate and discussion about different methods so i guess you know from a psychological standpoint is there like, what is your reasoning for choosing to do a more passive, I guess we could call it more passive form of of activism? Um, or I don't know if that's the right word to use. Maybe you guys would use another word. But yeah, maybe if you could sort of explain sort of your philosophy towards activism versus, you know, DXE's philosophy. Oh, I just didn't want to end up in prison. <laughs> uh, but I also I feel like you know like when if you're like in a shop or something or even walking on the street and then somebody keeps approaching you about a product or they keep asking you if you need help it's almost like you don't even want to know about it but if you if you are interested in something like you're genuinely interested then you'd be more open to you know learn about it and know more about it and that's kind of our approach because it's not 
it's not like right in your face, but we're right there. So if you find it appealing and you want to know more, then you would come to us. You can watch the footage and then you can come to us with questions or you can ask what we're doing or whatever it might be. But we're not like chasing people down the street, handing them flies and then be like, yeah. do you want to come check out the video? I feel like that's just counterproductive in the work that we do. Yeah, it's key that we educate. So yeah. like that's our thing, education. And you can't effectively educate people if it's like that. Yeah, like they want to, they have to want to learn. Otherwise, they wouldn't be open. Like you can keep someone there for five, ten minutes and talk to them. But if they're not wanting to learn, they're not going to absorb any of that information. So that's why we do it the way we do it. Yeah, we just want to make sure the, sure the message gets through. And when people stop it and we, we I went vegan through education you went vegan through education yeah so I guess we feel I guess that's the only way that you can go vegan and, and you know just you know when you make that shift and stay vegan like you have to you have to learn more about it because usually people see a video or like hear something or read something and then they'll get emotional or angry or whatever. And then you would have to learn more about it to be able to do it right. So maybe yeah. that's why sometimes people do think that they will go vegan, but then they don't necessarily continue and they go back to eating animal products. I feel like when that happens is because that person wasn't educated on every aspect of veganism. Yeah, for sure. I think that it's, I mean, when you think about, uh, like the cube of truth it's about really it's about having not only people see the footage but the conversations that happen around the cube and so to set up a good conversation with somebody like you that has that person has to be wanting to have a conversation yeah rather than being forced to have a conversation if you force somebody to have that conversation i mean what kind of a conversation are you gonna it have would be really? like sitting someone down like you make a youtube video right and then you like force them to watch it like yeah. they're not gonna what they're not gonna absorb it obviously, mm -hmm. so that's the same thing with that. Like you have to have people actually click on the video and on their own accord watch it. So. Yeah, yeah, but at at the same time, you know, I think, I mean, how do you how do you guys think about DXE and and the you know the work that they do? I mean, obviously, you guys, it was cool last year to sort of see that you were all sort of in the same place at the same time, like DXE. You guys from Anonymous for the Voiceless, you know, doing cubes, and then also people from the Save movement. And if people aren't, maybe people didn't listen to the the podcast I did with that vegan couple yet. The Save movement basically is about going and standing outside of slaughterhouses and stopping the trucks, bringing the animals in, and basically going live on their Facebook. The people who show up and um, showing the animals, giving them a little bit of water, a little bit of love and compassion before they're trucked into their deaths and it's about bringing people like bringing that part of of meat production or, or animal product production into the the social media feeds of of everybody because everybody's sharing with all their friends and family who are not necessarily vegan um so the safe movement is is also really um you know it's a different but also powerful form of activism so th i think that's really really cool though that you guys all sort of came together for for an event to sort of unify um and yeah i guess what are 
what were sort of you know the takeaways of of that experience of coming together? I mean, did it did it change how you viewed those the different organizations like Save and DXC and sort of yeah, just curious of of sort of your thoughts on those organizations. They're doing good work. We support the good work that they do, and that's why we're willing to support and join forces. Yeah, I think it's important to have different types of activism. Like you mentioned before, I agree, unless you're being aggressive or you're harming anybody in the process, there's no wrong way to do it. We can talk about maybe what kinds are more effective in terms of, you know, educating people again or um, how you make someone go vegan or help them make that connection. Some are definitely more effective, but there's nothing wrong with any any form of activism. And it's really good that we have all different um, organizations working together. And, you know, a lot of people that go to the cube, they also do vigils and they also do DXC um, actions. They do disruptions. So it's really good. I think that's a really positive thing. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I think it's, I, I totally agree. I think the more, the more kinds of you know, because it's it's great to see that, like I said, the cube is really accessible for people to get, and now it's it is becoming easier with with the save movement for people to to actually go to a slaughterhouse. I mean, people aren't. I mean, mo most people aren't going to just go and do that on their own, right? I mean, I mean, nobody's. I mean, well, maybe some people will, but most people aren't just going to get together on their own and go to a slaughterhouse and and take footage of it. But now that there are these organized events around the world uh, because of the save movement, you know, people can look up to, to see if there's a local save chapter and like go with a group of people. And I mean that like that's hard. I mean, I, I've I've been to one vigil. Um, I went to a vigil in Toronto this past summer, and, and uh, like that is a really profound experience you know there's a lot of um you know emotion that is i think built up in people um who've gone vegan and to go to go to a slaughterhouse and like bear witness to those animals i mean i've seen people have like really intense emotional reactions to that experience um so yeah i think it's great that there's you know these different forms of, of activism and, and some people you know as to dxc some people i guess that's that's what they really want to do. I mean, personally, that's I don't feel I don't feel particularly drawn to that form of activism. But there are some people who are, and they feel really passionately about that, you know, and they have their own reasons for for doing that. And you know, while I maybe don't identify and feel the same about about that, you know, I can respect that, and I can you know give them you know kudos for for making the effort and um, putting themselves on the line. Because as as Paul said, I mean. It's not uncommon for people doing these this these disruptions to be to be arrested and um, you know to 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 put yourself um, in that position where that's a possibility that definitely takes some. Courage. So I commend those people for that for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about um, <clears throat> just I just want to hear your your stories on in terms of like what were what were your lives like before you were vegan and what sort of led you to become vegan in the first place if we can like just take it back a little bit because i'm always interested to hear like what was it that inspired you to, to go vegan and you know what what sort of uh life were you living before and how did going vegan you know affect what you wanted to do with your life you go first <laughs> um i think i always I was an animal lover or I thought I was an animal lover since I was a kid. 
uh, it would always make me really angry or sad if I saw an animal who was injured or if I saw someone, you know, trying to harm an animal. Um, I remember even like incidents where I would step in and try and, you know, help the animal or stop the person. Um, and like, yeah, growing up, I just always thought one day I want to be a vegetarian because that's all I knew. And I went vegan in 2013, and the way it happened was, um, so I used to watch a lot of videos on, like, YouTube or someone would share something on Facebook, um, you know, animal cruelty videos. And it's usually, you know, because of our conditioning, it's usually, you know, a cat or a dog, or, um, and that affects you um, if you're not a vegan yet. So it was always about, you know, cruelty to dogs or something and it would really piss me off and it would it would really make me angry um so i would always watch those videos and it, i would always get affected until one day i saw a footage from a fur farm um and that footage was a very short footage and i only watched parts of it but it really affected me i just remember like i was crying for hours after that and i just felt really helpless and I went on my Facebook and I um, I wrote something like, I wish I had the power to stop animal cruelty. And at that point, I only maybe had one person who was vegan. And um, so I made that post on my Facebook and somebody who wasn't even a vegan commented saying, well, go vegan then. And so I went up and started, you know, researching veganism and I remember I went to Peter's website and I got some information there and that's how I went vegan. It was from me watching uh, footage from a fur farm and then that helped me understand how unnecessary it is to use animals, whether it's for food, fashion, clothing, anything. So, um, yeah, that's how I went vegan. <laughs> interesting. That's, that's interesting that it, it wasn't even a vegan who... Who made that yeah, comment? Yeah, and that and... person is still not vegan, and they follow me <laughs> on social media, but they're still not vegan. They like everything that I post, but yeah, it's funny that came from a non-vegan, and it actually it did something for me. I didn't just ignore it; I actually took it seriously and I looked it up. But yeah, and pretty much after I went vegan, because I went, I wanted to be active. I always had that urge, like I, I. I felt so passionate about it. I wanted to speak up. So I was attending, you know, protests or any kind of demonstrations that were running at that point until Paul and I met and then we decided to do the retreat. So you so you got into activism quite um quickly. I mean after going after going vegan you, you basically wanted to jump right in and, and do what you could. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And so so what kind of things were you doing at, at the beginning there? Um, well, I would post a lot of stuff on social media and then I would get into arguments with people in the, in the comment section trying to educate them, but I used to be a lot more angry. And yeah, apart from that, just whatever was available in Melbourne, there wasn't much going on at that point. Um, a lot of it was just protests where we would go and stand somewhere holding signs for a couple hours and there would be like a table with you know, some flyers and some booklets and information. Um, yeah, I remember I used to do, because um, horse racing is pretty big in Melbourne, 
and there was like multiple events throughout the year. So I would always attend those events, protesting that, um, protests about animal testing, anything really. Okay, cool. That's interesting. How about you, Paul? Um, well, before I was vegan, I, I didn't give a shit about animals. And I think I, so before I was, I was doing music before this. And then I evolved from that into, um, like I just, um, I, I was no longer compelled to like do music as a career. And, um, I, at that point in time, I wanted to like get back to basics is the best way I could explain it. And so I went raw vegan for two years and I felt like that was a good way of, um, yeah, getting back to basics, if that makes sense. Like I just wanted to, um, get, get in touch with the core of who I am and, and what I am and listening closely to, you know, the way my mind, body and soul works. And that way I, I knew that if I did that, I could find my path in life a lot better and do something that I would be proud of long-term and, um, something I want to do as a career. So I did that and then like I got really passionate about plant-based nutrition because of the power that it had on me and the impact it had on me. So I um, started studying. I went into like um, I began a degree in naturopathy so I could become a naturopath and I did almost two years of a four-year degree and then I did a certificate in plant-based nutrition through Equal and the T. Colin Campbell Foundation. Um, so I was really like wanting to practice and wanting to, yeah, do nutrition work. And then I realized that convincing people to go plant-based was, <laughs> was really not as effective as when I became vegan activist and started convincing people to go vegan for the right reasons, I realized I was making way more impact when I did that, but that's skipping the story a bit. Um, I initially just sort of like, I watched Gary's videos, which was a huge push in the right direction. And, I, and the penny dropped when I just thought to myself that, you know, the most profound thing that I'm involved in right now is the fact that I'm no longer contributing to this injustice, which is the largest injustice of all time and not the fact that I'm improving my health through plant-based nutrition. That's a selfish endeavor. So the most profound thing I was doing was, was no longer participating in the largest injustice in the world. When I, when the penny dropped on that, I saw the moral obligation that I had and it grew like, yeah, like a slowly building fire. It just grew inside me where I found myself, arguing with everybody in every comment section of every post that was anti-vegan or, or whatever and spending so much of my time doing that online and also getting into so many fights with my ex who wasn't vegan um, 
just yeah i realized that i'm an activist so i actually care about this cause so much and i need to dive into activism and i want to be a full-time activist so i initially set out on i set out to do youtube and that was my way to do it and then yeah i met asal while i was i just started my youtube channel around that time and then we dated for a while and then we started the cube of truth and then here we are what was the what was the um the inspiration to go raw vegan? I mean it's it's funny because I I mean I should say I have like a very similar story to you. I was doing music as a career and I sort I mean I I really enjoy doing music but I got to this point where I was like, you know, I don't I'm not really sure that I want to do this like as a career like to make my living. Um and and I had a similar thing. I mean for me it was uh, you know, I was getting, I was getting uh, strep throat every year and I didn't want to get strep throat every year anymore. So I looked up, you know, what causes it and found out about, you know, dairy and how that can cause ear, nose and throat illnesses and infections. And then I said, you know, I'd already heard about the ethical, ethical stuff, uh, before. Um, and, and so I started looking into the health side of it and I found, um, the life regenerator, Dan, the man, Dan yeah, McDonald, he's, his YouTube he's, videos. He was a catalyst and, for me. It was a catalyst for you as well. So, so yeah. So, did you? Was it similar for you? You were just sort of searching YouTube and and found him. And I looked that, up literally raw vegetable juices, or just, just because, vegetable juices, and then I saw this like crazy hippie looking dude with long hair, and in the front of an RV, juicing like a whole head of lettuce and like a whole fucking like I'd never seen yeah. anyone juice that many greens in a fucking juicer yeah. and like create 2 liters of juice. So I'm like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And then he For he sure, t- yeah. I remember him grabbing the cucumber and then going life and he would put it in the juicer and then he'd grab a capsicum or a bell pepper and he'd go life and he'd put it in the juicer. And that stuck with me. I'm like, oh yeah, it's like living food. Why didn't I ever think of that? Like that. I never thought yeah. of it like that and and he just that that seed got planted and it just grew 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 and then i mean i was always into health but it was my bullshit version of health that i thought was health you know like drinking lots of water and going for and working out and eating protein which was animal products and this this kind of shit was i i generally maintained in my life but uh, yeah, and I, I like I knew about juices, like vegetable juices made sense to me. Like obviously that's healthy. And when I was younger, I had a fear of getting cancer because I had a cancer scare when I was eighteen, and and I always had this fear, like because lots of people in my family tree would would die from cancer or suffer from it. And I thought, oh well, I'm chances for me to get it are pretty high, and um, one in three people get it. That's the the statistic that you hear. And so I always had this fear of getting cancer. And then when I had a cancer scare, I was like, fuck, I really need to do something about my health. And then like I heard this show, this story of this guy on the news who reversed his cancer through carrot juicing and his skin went orange, but he reversed his cancer. And I was like, okay, so you look weird, but you don't have cancer. So I'm like, why isn't this mainstream knowledge? Why is it just like some random story of some guy doing this? This should, this should be common knowledge. So I, it tantalized me and I knew that there was bullshit. I knew that there was fuckery afoot when the media is telling us about one story, yet it's not common knowledge. So I just looked more into it, you know, and I wanted to do my own research and I found a lot of superfoods that I would consume and green tea, you know, but then you, you delve deeper into it. You realize that it's all bullshit 
and that you just have to consume a whole foods plant-based diet and raw is fantastic but i don't think it's i don't personally think it's necessarily the best to do 100% long term i think eating cooked foods whole foods is good for you but anyway that's where I, that's why i went raw yeah yeah there's there's a lot of science about the whole foods plant-based diet for sure and there's a lot of you know really credible um doctors like you mentioned you did the course with uh t colin campbell's institution is that right online yeah, the foundation it's a collaboration through equal now and the t colin campbell foundation they put okay. the the certificate program together yeah so there's so there's there's him there's dr neil barnard there's you know john mcdougall like there's all these really you know credited mds um uh you know who have who've got just a lot of science behind eating a whole foods plant-based diet and when you delve into the science that's been done on on raw foods it's you know maybe not not so not as uh, strong not so yeah not not as strong so yeah that's 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 cool and then so basically you went from that that health you know have heavily weighted you know your interest was heavily on on health at the beginning yeah. and then slowly became more and more ethical and that and that's also what what I what I found as well is that you know the more the longer I was vegan and the more I learned about the way the animals are treated it's like man I mean I'm definitely I'm vegan for my health as well because I know that it's it's good for my health but I mean I think a lot of people maybe go vegan for health and they might you know do a do like a, a few week cleanse or whatever to like you know get their get their health happening a little bit but then if you're not really sort of aware of the ethical reasons for it all, it's pretty easy to slip into bad habits because it's just about you, right? Like you said, it's sort of a selfish thing. I mean, not that it's – I don't know if selfish is, is the right the, the right word to use. That I, I mean, because it's – you know, our health is important. I mean, it's, it's we should be looking after our health. And if we can't take care of ourselves, how can we help other people? But I mean – when you're just when you're it's when it's only yourself that you're concerned about that's keeping you vegan it's easy to sort of lose that self-respect and slip back into old habits but for me you know when i think about you know eating an animal product and like what went into that for the animal it's 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 like i I couldn't i literally couldn't do it because just thinking about where it came from you know it's it's so easy to stay vegan i mean people say it's hard to stay vegan it's like man you think about what you're eating and it's it's just it's the only way that you can eat if you're fully aware of what's of what's going into the food you know so but i think it's you know i think it is important though to to keep in mind like that you know a lot of people maybe they're not ready to think about animals like people i always i always think about like the hierarchy of needs that people have and if you don't have your basic needs met in terms of like your own self you know feeling feeling good it's 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 difficult to extend that to others um like hey i'm just trying to look i'm just trying to you know take care of this disease i've got or i'm just trying to take care of my family and make ends meet every day like i don't have time to worry about you know animals or whatever i'm just trying to feed my my family so you know i think that it's like all aspects are important like people need to know how to how to be healthy on a vegan diet because there are people like we've seen some people recently who are supposedly vegan for multiple reasons who start to have health issues but as soon as that happens and you think oh maybe it's because of my vegan diet i'm going to go back to eating animals because all of a sudden that security of personal health goes out the window and you start reaching for whatever so i think that that's a really important thing for people to know how to be a healthy vegan how to eat like a healthy vegan diet 
and like look after your health as well because if you're if you start to experience health problems it's really easy to like fall back into old habits too so i think that that's i mean coming back to the cube of truth and these you know the the conversations that are happening a lot of them i mean it is it is focused on the animals like looking at the footage that's on the screens but there is room in those conversations for vegans to share their experiences you know with health and you know to to share those resources i mean at the cube of truth we we give out um these cards that have a lot of resources on them including nutritional resources because it's an important part of it um and so i guess like i guess the question would be like how how do you because i mean these are volunteers coming to these events and they're all going to have just such a wide variety of opinions and backgrounds and i mean how do you approach i guess sort of the uh the training or the like how do you unify the, the like the conversations that are happening at these cubes I mean, isn't there a risk for, you know, somebody to show up who's say like, a, you know, a raw vegan or maybe a breath breatharian who has sort of, you know, they're vegan and they have the ethical thing, but their sort of nutritional views are maybe a little bit questionable, you know, is that because I mean, that's I've, I've had some conversations with people who are critical of the Cuba truth. And that is one of the criticisms, right, is that how do you how do you ensure that how do the you regulate who are outreach? Yeah. How do you regulate those conversations? Um, you can't, you have to rely on organizers to regulate. So that's the, it's, it comes down to organizer training and, and further reiterating the vision that we're trying to hold as an organization. It's all we can do. We can't physically be in 900 plus cities now and oversee everything. And you, you, it's just not realistic. We have to rely upon the organizers to carry that out. And hopefully there isn't some <laughs> breatharian message being spread to bystanders. Mm. You don't need to eat food, actually. Like if that happened, I would be very disappointed and very upset. And if someone, you know, was promoting you, you should eat raw, even that, like we believe that you should be promoting a whole foods plant-based diet for human health because um, – and if people want to eat trash and that's on them, we also like as long as people aren't harming animals. But in terms of health, we wouldn't promote a vegan diet. We promote a whole foods plant based diet, you know, in terms of health. Um, that's the only way we can regulate we it. We do have specific guidelines, though, like if someone starts attending the cube, um, that's specific guidelines and also when the organizer will do the briefing they'll also mention these things for example we do promote a clear vegan message so the focus is always the animals because you know this is like veganism is an ethical stance i guess if you can say that um so a lot of people might want to be plant-based so those are the people that care about their health and you know, from a nutritional point of view. But when you talk about veganism, animals always come first and then your health and the environment. So we are constantly reminding people of these points and these facts. And then um, when we do our world tour, when we are touring, we do workshops. And these are the kind of things that we talk about during our workshops and also the other people that do workshops for the Cube. So we're constantly trying to train everyone so that um, everyone who's doing outreach at these events, they're all basically giving out the same information. But like Paul said, there's no way to, you know. Entirely. Yeah. Obviously. We try our best, but yeah, that's all we can do. 
Yeah, I would ask I, anyone watching this who might be a volunteer at a cube or even an organizer, if you hear of or see of any of this, then let us know. Yeah, for sure. Because we I don't mean, want it, it happening. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult thing. I mean, now that the organization is so big and there's so many people participating, obviously it's it's a huge task to try to sort of make sure everybody's educated and that people are on sort of the same page, um, you know, in terms of this. Um, so it's definitely a big a big challenge. But yeah, it's it's something that it's it's good to hear that you know the organizers that's it's something that they're sort of watching out for. You know, people who are coming to these events and who may be you know, saying some sort of uh, less than ideal things to just sort of be keeping an eye an eye out for that. Um, yeah, so and but we also I mean, try to maintain like an apolitical stance as well. Like we don't and we don't want to get into other conversations about vaccines and like we just want to stay on topic with mm -hmm. veganism yeah. and the people who show up to our events to do vegan outreach need to do vegan outreach and not make it about their anti-vax or pro-vax abortion yeah like any of even these conversations are not welcome at av yeah. events you know even if the bystander is trying to draw that conversation out of you you need to be professional and say i can't have this i don't want we're not here to have this conversation we're here to talk about this you know in, in whichever way you want to tactically say that, but that's essentially what you need to say because we need to keep the conversation focused on one thing because, you know, it could be a diversion on the bystander's part and it also could just be a waste of time. And if you don't, you know, focus on the one thing, it's you're lowering your chances of that thing being absorbed. Yeah, I think I think that's a super, super important point because, I mean, having some of these conversations, that is... I would say in most conversations that I've had, people will diverge into speaking speaking about other things. Yeah, they don't. Because see, that's the thing. They don't really care in that case. So, this is about injustice. Whether it's about the animals, whether about whether it's about the environment or about our health, it's all an injustice. Surely, someone cares about one of those things. And even within those three categories, I just mentioned, there's many subcategories that go into them. So. You know, with human health, yes, it's an injustice to harm yourself. If you think you're eating foods that make you healthy and yet these organizations are lying to you, these corporations and the health board and the government is all lying to you, that's an injustice. But also what it's doing to your family and your kids, that's another layer of injustice, right? And the fact that we've been lied about, this has been lied, we've been lied to for years now. Like we're talking about, you know, generations of lies. And that's another layer of injustice. So there's many, you know, there's many like levels of injustice within that. And then the environment, if you don't care necessarily about, you know, global warming, because you don't think it's a real thing, you know, do you care about the ocean? Do you care about deforestation? Do you care about soil erosion? There's many different environmental injustices, water waste. Surely you care about one of those things. Don't you want to have lush green forests and clean oceans i'm sure that you know like you care about at least one of those environmental factors and then when it comes to the animals you may not care but you know surely again like surely because a lot of people they say they don't care they don't want to watch the footage and why is that because it does bother them you know it, do, it does like it does haunt them that this is happening yeah. and 
there's there's something within what's happening to the animals that can hit people. So it's about trying to discover which of those injustices is going to really impact that person. And that's how you get people in the first stage of the sales process that I talk about, which is emotional conviction. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I think – did you want to add anything to that at no. all? Or? No. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I think – I mean I don't – I think you said that maybe those people don't care if they're if they're diverging. I, I would say that, you know, I would say that they I'd say everybody cares. Like you say, of one of those things, like everybody cares. The thing is that it's difficult to confront. So you get all these sort of gymnastics happening in the conversation where you start talking about health and then people start talking about, you know, gluten intolerance and you start talking about the environment and people start talking about, you know, plastic in the ocean or, yeah. or whatever. Which is also mostly by, you know, most of the plastic in the ocean is from fishing, but most people don't know that. They're trying to diverge to something that doesn't affect their uh, ability to eat a burger and, and not feel exactly. bad about it, right? Yeah. So so there's I think there's a real art to that, to like keeping that conversation uh, relevant to veganism with people. And that's a skill. I mean, that's I guess that's that's the whole thing, right? Is that the the effectiveness of of the cube of truth, you know, a big part of that is making sure that people doing outreach are skilled and are able to like have these really good conversations. Cause, and that's, that's great that, you know, there's all these workshops and, you know, training and th things that are happening like that, that is a focus, a big focus of the organization. And I think that's one of the things that is, it's the biggest challenge to anonymous for the voiceless compared to say DXE or the save movement. Like in DXE, people aren't really having you know, conversations on this level. It's just about going out there and, you know, showing, like showing the message. You don't really need, I mean, I'm sure there is a certain amount of training to that for sure, but, you know, the psychological sort of training of how to have an effective conversation, like that's, that's like a very big topic, you know, that is some, sort of unique to anonymous for the voices, right? So, um, yeah, so that's, that's going to be interesting to see, you know, how that evolves. And I think that it's, I think it's also just in and of itself, giving people the opportunity to like have those conversations and get together and hear other people's conversations yeah. about how they approach that. I yeah. think that in and of itself, a cube of truth is like a training grounds for these people to, to learn how to have better conversations. I mean, yep. Do you guys, is that, you guys feel the same way? Yeah, that's what it yeah, is. definitely. Like if you're new to the cubes and you attend for the first few times that you attend, you're not actually supposed to be doing outreach. You're supposed to be doing the cube and then shadowing other outreaches. So that way you're listening to the conversations because um, most people are also not, they don't feel comfortable and confident to do outreach anyway when they first start. So that's a good way to train them as well. And also that way you know that they will probably going to be using the same method, same information when they start doing outreach. Cool. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fantastic because this yeah, it's like a it's like a breeding ground for for vegan activists because they get to meet each other and you know socialize after the events, like after the cubes. You know, I think most most groups will probably have some sort of a you know social event after the cube, and that's a great way to you know build community. And I like I'm just so I'm so excited about sort of the future of of vegan activism because you know who knows in you know ten years or whatever what kind of activism is going to be going on. But I think right now, you know, 
people are going to these cubes and people are sharing ideas and getting better at, you know, spreading the message. And I just, I mean, I couldn't really couldn't be more fired up about activism. So I got to get, I got to just, you know, say right now, like, I like, thank you guys so much for, you know, the work that you do and helping to make this happen because it's, it's an amazing phenomena and yeah, you guys should be super proud of, of what you guys have, have helped to facilitate. Thanks, Tommy. Thank you for saying that. Let's uh, let's start to uh, wind this down a little bit. Um, I want to hear. I've got two two questions for you, or two things I'd like to hear from you guys, just as sort of closing uh, closing thoughts. Um, I mean, the first part, I guess, is you know what what are some of the changes that you that you'd like to see? Or I mean, you know, if you think about. I saw you were talking about when you first went vegan, it was back, you know, 20, 2013. Um, you sort of jumped into it right away and you were going to events and what activism looked like back then versus what it looks like now is quite different. Like there's been quite an evolution in the past, you know, five, five to 10 years or, or even the past, you know, couple of years just with, with Anonymous for the Voiceless and these other organizations that have started up. What how do you guys think about, you know, where activism is going and sort of the future of activism? And, you know, what are your thoughts on maybe, you know, what's some of maybe some some issues or some things that you'd like to see changed today and maybe what the future could could look like for you guys? Or for for activism in general, I guess. I mean, is there, you know, is there a direction you'd like to see activism heading in the, in the coming years? Um, is it I'd a like to see... Of- more of a cohesive movement. I'd like to see people using their talents and skills and putting it into activism and committing full time if they can to doing that as a goal, perhaps, you know, working towards full, we don't have many full, we don't have many full time vegan activists, which is scary. But that's something I'd like to see, way more full-time activists. I'd also like to see more vegan activists taking better care of their mental health and therefore not vomiting their negative and toxic bullshit onto everyone else into the movement and dragging others down because vegans are humans and vegan activists tend to be pretty fucked up because – like we've witnessed such heinous injustices and we're the only ones bearing the burden of it because we know about it. And like in terms of the human population, we're the only ones that like have to get this message out to the rest of the world. And it's really crazy how like that fact is what brings us together, (laughs) like knowledge of the worst injustice on the planet. But it is what it is. And I like the fact that there are so many people now fighting for animals and for the for a vegan world than there ever has been but we have such a ways to go and i'd love to see yeah that's it more cohesion what about you asal um i think it's obvious that you know we're gonna have more and more and more activists like more vegans becoming active and maybe even more animal rights organizations, more groups. So there's going to be a lot more activism and hopefully that will 
maybe that will help us get some media attention and that way the majority of the public will take veganism more seriously maybe the laws will change um i mean that has to happen because they can't ignore vegans anymore if it gets to that point and with av we like to see you know more groups opening up around the world i mean right now within just less than three years we have 900 chapters so our goal has always been to have you know a chapter in every city around the world and then multiple chapters within each city so we still have that goal um within the next five to ten years i'm sure we're gonna hit you know five thousand groups around the world at least so yeah i guess the future is definitely positive <laughs> that's awesome yeah i think i think that's a really good point about you know finding ways to get more media attention and also finding ways to you know get into um you know changing some of the laws around the world and, and getting more active on that front so, i mean there's so many different things so many different areas that that are sort of you know untouched or are, are barely being you know touched in terms of the the fronts that the the vegan fight is being is being uh, waged i guess you could say um and yeah it all has to do with you know numbers of people and people with you know different skill sets as paul said i mean there's there's all kinds of different people who you know have different unique talents that they can bring to the movement and yeah i think that that's you know it's it's going to be a beautiful thing to see that sort of manifesting um and also the other point that you made paul about you know taking care of mental health because that i think that's huge and i think that you know that's something we could probably do a whole a whole podcast on definitely just the, the mental health aspect of being a vegan activist and confronting as you say, you know, the greatest injustice that's happening on the planet or, you know, that, that ever has happened. I mean, I don't think that you're out of line in, in proposing that at all. That's And that's only one layer. Yeah. Like, I'm, I, had, I didn't even talk about people's own personal shit, like their own shit that they came into the vegan movement with. For sure, for sure. Which is layers and layers deep. So I really think people have a responsibility to you know, go through the therapy they need to go through and self-reflection and not bring any of their toxic nonsense into the movement as best as possible. Yeah, and it's, it's an unfortunate thing that, you know, it's, a, it's an issue that people who are non-vegans uh, do a very good job of highlighting the fact that, you know, vegans, a lot of vegans are, are frustrated and they have issues, you know, whether it's related to knowing what goes on to the animals or other things that have happened to them in their lives. And when they end up, you know, speaking to people about veganism, it, it can get, you know, kind of ugly and, you know, probably maybe they're not advocating in the most effective way. Um, and yeah, it's, it's unfortunate and it's something that hopefully, you know, hopefully we're able to, I don't know, provide some, you know, there's going to be some way to provide better resources to people or people are just going to, you know, it's going to become more common knowledge that that's something that vegans need to make a better effort of doing is sort of, yeah. you know, dealing with that and and sort of coming to peace with certain things or doing whatever they need to do so that their advocacy of veganism is, is more effective. Um, cool. And then the other thing that I wanted to ask you guys is, I mean, just maybe some closing words for... I mean, I guess there's two sort of different, two sort of different people to to speak to. The first one would be if somebody is not vegan yet. I mean, what are some maybe closing thoughts that you could that you would say personally to somebody? Obviously, we don't know who's listening, but somebody who's maybe if they're listening this far and they're interested in veganism, 
and they're taking it seriously for sure, but maybe they're not vegan yet. I mean, any any words to somebody who is obviously giving it a lot of thought but hasn't been able to you know, make that change and, and to, to really embrace a vegan lifestyle? Well, I, I remember answering this question when you interviewed me in Bangkok, so I'll let Asal answer this. And I need to run to the toilet really quick. Okay, go for it. Yeah, I will say I will say as well, I'll, I'll mention that interview. Um, there is a video on my YouTube channel that Paul and I did in, in Bangkok, and that was a really good, about, you know, 30 minutes. And so we did hear Paul's Paul's thoughts on that, and I'll link that in the in the show notes if people are interested. But yes, we didn't get to hear from you as all. So <laughs> what, are your, what are your words to somebody who's in that sort of, you know, place? This, a non-vegan who's considering going vegan? Was that yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... Uh, I would say definitely look into it, educate yourself, even go to a cube because you get to watch the footage and then you get to have a conversation with someone who has the knowledge and, you know, they'll be able to provide lots and lots of information there. Um, Even go visit a slaughterhouse so that you can see with your own eyes what happens, you know, in slaughterhouses. But yeah, definitely educate yourself and definitely consider being vegan. That's that's a great point. Like that, you know, these, um, like the the cube of truth and events that the Save Movement put on. It's not only about like spreading the awareness to people who aren't really thinking about this stuff. It's also a great resource for people who are thinking about it already to go and you know get more educated. Definitely. I mean, I've I've had lots of lots of times when people who are who have been vegan have like brought friends and family to the cube who are who are sort of thinking about it to sort of help them get educated or you know brought brought them along to a vigil or whatever. So yeah, that's that's a great uh that's a great point. That yeah, I, I we've even had non-vegans joining the actual event meaning they'll jump in the cube. So mm-hmm. again, that will help them because you're standing behind a mask, you're showing the footage to the public, and then you get to see people's reactions when you're when they're walking past, and also you can listen to the conversations that are happening around you. So we've had so many people going the cube and then deciding to go vegan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've seen that happen for sure. I've seen people walk by the cube, see what's going on. Normally they're pretty shocked or, or, you know, taken, you know, they've, they've had a, a significant emotional response and they want to like help. So they'll, they'll say, Oh, can I, you know, go stand in the cube, you know? And I think that's, I mean, is, is it's true that non non vegans are welcome to participate and, and come stand in the cube if they're maybe, you know, maybe they're passionate about it, but they haven't made that, that switch. Is that, that's something that's encouraged. Is that right? Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, so people are able to, you know, come in and get get amongst the community. Um, cool. So um, the other group of people that I would like to hear, you know, your thoughts. You know, if you if you if you're able to speak to them, somebody who is vegan already, um, but they're not doing any form of activism. So somebody who's, you know, they're living the vegan lifestyle, but they're for whatever reason they're not doing anything to sort of really spread the message. They're sort of keeping it to themselves. Um, and, and, um, you know, maybe hesitant to get active. Is there something you'd say to, to somebody like that? Maybe us all first and then, and then Paul. So I would say veganism is a non-action. So you're only not participating in the cruelty and the exploitation. So what you need to do, the next step would be to get active. So you can educate your friends and family. You can start making posts. 
you know, you can start educating the public, you can go to events, you can do whatever form of activism that suits your personality and you're good at it and you enjoy doing it because there are tons of, you know, different methods and different activisms that you, people can do. So just find the one that you like and get active. Cool. So the, the question was, and I think I think we talked about this, Paul, um, in the video as well, was just the the other group of people to speak to would be the ve the vegans, people who are vegan but non non active. Did you have any any further thoughts to add, or the, uh, other than what what us all said there? I answered this question during our yeah. Bangkok thing as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, any, any yeah? Any other closing closing just, thoughts on that? How about you just try it? Because I I promise you that if you go to a cube mm. and you you process all of that frustration that you have. Or maybe you don't even have frustration. Maybe you're just happy to be vegan and not don't care about everyone else being vegan or not. Try going to a cube because you might realize that getting the message out there is one of the most fulfilling things that you can do for yourself because you really do realize that you're you're changing the world, you're making an impact and you're convincing people to do something that you know we, we're stamping out an antiquated injustice that should have been dead and gone a long time ago. So we need to really do something about this. And it feels incredible when you do just try it out and get back to me. Thank me later or I'll give you your money back. <laughs> your money. Uh, so, so the, uh, and it's free by the way. I mean, that, that yeah, was a joke, was of course. <laughs> yeah, okay. so, no, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's awesome. That's a good place to leave it. You guys, um, I guess, I guess, yeah, if, if somebody is trying to join a cube, what is, what is the fastest way for them to, to, to find their, their local cube? Join a cube.com. Join a cube.com. That'll show you the locations map, but also, oh, that's changed now. Actually just go to cubeoftruth.com. Okay. Cubeoftruth.com. Cool. Is there anywhere else that um, that you'd like people to to go to check you guys out on social media, or if they want to get in touch with you guys? Facebook and Instagram. It's all anonymous for the voiceless, so they can also see the events on Facebook. But it's easier to go on the website; and they can see the closest chapter. All right. Fantastic. Anything Anything else you guys want to say before we close it down here? Just keep up the good work, homie. Cool. You guys too. You guys do. It's awesome we'll talking to you. See you in guys. Chiang Mai at some point. Yeah. If not Chiang Mai, then maybe Toronto. We'll see. Oh, yeah. Are you going to? Yeah. Are you? Because we're going to be in New York for the week of truth, and that's going to be in July. Are you? And we're going to go to Toronto, I think. Well, we think at this point we're going to go to Toronto like for maybe a week or something because it's right there. But. Yeah, if you if you're gonna be in Toronto around that period, let us know. Cool, that'd be sweet. It'd be nice to do an in an, an, another uh, episode. We could do in person mm -hmm. rather than on Skype. That'd be that'd be even better. Yeah. Cool, sweet. Well, thank you guys so much uh, once again. I can't say how much uh, I appreciate all the work that you guys do, and I'm sure that I'm not alone. There's you know literally tens of thousands of vegans out there, or if not hundreds of thousands, who have you know participated in these cubes, and um, 
yeah, it's, you know, you guys, you guys are just doing amazing work to provide this, um, this opportunity for vegan activism to happen. And, you know, this growth in veganism that we're seeing right now, it's definitely, um, you guys are playing a big role in that. So yeah, can't thank you guys enough. And, um, yeah, hope, hope to speak to you guys again soon on a, on a future episode of, of the podcast. So yeah, enjoy enjoy your time in uh, in Orange County there. Where are you guys headed next? Do you know? Uh, Amsterdam. Amsterdam, cool, very nice, cool guys. Well, take care of yourselves. Keep up the great work, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jason. Later, G. There you have it, two people that I believe will go down in history as some of the most important people in the animal rights movement. To connect with Paul Asal and their organization, simply go to anonymousforthevoiceless.com or find them on Facebook or Instagram under the username anonymousforthevoiceless on both platforms. If you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend about it, share it across social media, you guys know the drill. Leave a review once again on Apple Podcasts. Um, only takes a couple of minutes, as I said um, before the conversation. In addition to Apple Podcasts and iTunes, the Vegan Champion Podcast is also available on a wide variety of listening platforms, including Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Castbox, Pocket Cast, Podbean, Radio Public, Stitcher, and Anchor.fm. You can also find video versions of each episode on YouTube. Just search for The Vegan Champion Podcast. Check out theveganchampionpodcast.com for everything podcast related. If you're interested to learn more about me, you can do that by going to jasonfonger.com. And if you are inclined to financially support the work I do, please visit patreon.com slash jasonfonger. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to Paul and Asal for coming on the show. Thanks to Matt Chalmers for the music. And thanks to Cole Lajeunesse at Planet Convert for the show graphics. That's it. That's all for today, everyone. Until next time, keep eating those plants, keep fighting the good fight, and keep living like a champion, a vegan champion.